Welcome to Cybersecurity Unplugged, the cyber theory podcast where we explore issues that matter in the world of cybersecurity. Good day, everyone. I'm Steve King, the Managing Director at Cyber Theory. Today's episode is going to focus on the adoption of blockchain technologies in medicine. Joining me today is Dan Bowden, the CISO at Santerra Health, a 130-year-old healthcare provider with a team of 30,000 people delivering quality healthcare across 12 hospitals. Dan's focus has been on building secure digital environments for new mobile apps, telehealth platform implementations, and integrating these EHR system patient member portals, electronic health record system patient member portals, as well as migrating Centera systems to cloud infrastructure as a service and platform as a service environments, and leveraging leading technologies to maximize efficiency and safety. So welcome, Dan. I'm glad you could join me today. Thanks, Steve. It's great to be here and happy to have a chance to talk about this. Great. I know that you've been exploring and implementing blockchain solutions in healthcare for a while now. I think it was Estonia that moved all of its healthcare billing to blockchain. 95% of their health information is ledger-based, and I think almost all of their prescription information is digital. Why have the American hospital and medical systems lagged so far behind? Wow, this is a it's a great question, Steve. And I will preface this that this is uh, my own opinion, and um, it's it's tough. I've I've been in healthcare now since two thousand and seven, and I came from banking, and just literally the first day, uh, what I learned is uh, a lot of the the reason banking works, and you can get to your money anywhere. You can. You can practice. You can use your Visa card, Mastercard, anywhere that accepts Visa and Mastercard in the world. It's because of uh, really just how we how the the data is managed, data standards, data integrity, and in healthcare, I learned early on, uh, even in health systems that might use the same platforms. Uh, for patient health information, that did not mean there was any kind of uniformity or standards in how the data is maintained and managed. Further, it, a lot of uh, manual work and people can uh, who have been involved in, in manual data collection, if it goes on over time, it's, it's fraught with inconsistencies and errors. We've grown into this, I think in just the United States overall, whether it's healthcare or just the way we we do things, I think certain sectors have been able to sub-optimize how uh, data is gathered, uh, the standards, the formatting, the integrity, the accuracy. And in healthcare, we've struggled with it just because it's a whole bunch of, of I kind of refer to them as mini markets you know, statewide, regionally, and you probably, anyone who has changed health providers, uh, even if you just go across the street, you know, when you go across the street, that new provider is going to hand you that clipboard uh, with three or four or five pieces of paper and ask you to 
to check a bunch of boxes and circle a bunch of things and fill out a bunch of stuff you've already done before. Sometimes it happens again at your own provider. So it's, uh, it's uh, the data, there is no uniformity. So unless these, uh, these different provider organizations and payers go out of their way, which they don't, there's no money paid for going out of your way to reconcile and patient match and plan member match data. And so I think that's been a big problem is just the incentive to do it. Where Estonia, you've got, an it's an interesting uh, use case I think you've got uh, leaders in the country who, in a way, they run the, they run the country like it's a startup company. They, uh, they've got a lot more, it's a smaller, smaller scope, uh, a lot more control to kind of enact those, those kind of measures for uniformity, where in healthcare, that uh, kind of dispersion of decentralized markets all over the country makes it very difficult. So I think that's the, the big challenge is just the way Data man, data is managed, and I could go on and on. We have presentations on this, uh, along with manual work. We still rely on um, a lot of uh, you know sending data over fax machines. You know, uh, data you know communication among different platforms is done either uh, with kind of formats that are uh, inconsistent and or uh, sometimes insecure and. There's a lot of work, so I think that it's a it's a huge problem to solve. I'm blessed to be at one of the the health organizations that is stepping up, and uh, Centera has made some uh, some notable uh, investments, and and I've been uh, very fortunate to get to work outside my I guess outside my day job domain of being the CISO. I get to work very closely with a lot of our business folks and business folks in some of the very large uh, health uh, insurance companies and technology companies in the, the country to try to work on this. Yeah, and I know blockchain has been a source of sort of contention in terms of different views held by different folks in, in cybersecurity. Maybe you can uh, give our listeners some background on blockchain and, and why yeah. you're bullish and why you think it's ready for prime time. Yeah. Well, you know, it's important. Like people hear, oh, this is Dan. So he's a CISO talking about blockchain. I'm like, no, I'm a, I'm a healthcare technology executive right now talking about blockchain. It's a business enabler. And what we try to explain is I'm, it's not a cybersecurity enabler. It's not a cybersecurity tool or platform. I think in terms of it can enable privacy, some privacy utility, but really what it does, I think if there was any kind of analogy, Technology speaking wise, the analogy is a very foundational level in a way, kind of what TCP IP is to the internet. I think, you know, blockchain can be a similar enable for, for business and how businesses work together. So I always tell people, you know, you have those, those blockchain decision, decision trees about do I use blockchain or should I just use a database? And uh, it's a great decision tree. And I would say if you're just doing something inside your own company, the utility of blockchain is pretty limited. However, if you want to, to change uh, the game or you have a lot of uh, B2B, B2C uh, use cases, business to business, business to consumer use cases, where you're trying to really enact integrity of data. So identities, 
we want to know this Steve King is the very a very specific Steve King in the midst of all the other Steve Kings in the United States. So when Steve, this Steve King walks into a new provider, and uh, let's say we're in a, a wonderful world where he shows a uh, QR code on a mobile app and that provider scans it, and in real time, it burps out a request onto this, uh, this network enabled by blockchain. And the question is, is this Steve King covered under a health plan? And immediately there's a reply that comes back from Aetna that says, yes, that Steve King is, is covered under our health plan. And uh, this, these are the specifics of his copay for uh, seeing his primary care provider. Or these are, this is where he is currently on paying through a deductible. And so we want to enable those kind of things where those questions get answered right away. And then maybe in the future, Steve, you can, that uh, clipboard questionnaire of all those questions, you can just provide that one time and then update it when you want through that same mobile app. And you can decide who that's shared with you know, through the through a digital ledger that's enabled by blockchain. And you can uh, make decisions about uh, updating, updating your address, updating your phone number, your email address, who you choose to share health information with, or what health information you share. And, and so it's, uh, it's an enabler in that respect. So that's why I tell people, when we're not talking about cybersecurity, we're talking about trying to change the game and the terms on which healthcare business is really transacted. Yeah. And so my question is, why can't I do that now? I mean, having spent the last couple of months in and around a healthcare system here, I've probably completed that clipboard questionnaire five different times, and yet it was the same provider. So, <laughs> so my question is, why don't we have that little QR code now? You know what? It's it, we we are working on it, and I don't I don't want to to play a commercial, but for anyone, but if they do some homework on Centera Healthcare, there are other organizations, very notable, another very notable healthcare provider in the country. Well, I can say I can say their names, but we're we're working with other peers such as Cleveland Clinic, Aetna, Anthem, uh, HCSC, PNC Bank, uh, IBM, others to try to solve that. Steve, we want you to have that. And then we also want your providers to be able to update their information. Believe it or not, if you go out on your health plan website and you try to find a orthopedic provider, you, you maybe you want to see a knee doctor. It's kind of best in class accuracy of those directories. Eh, it's probably 70%. Believe it or not. And so, but it's the same challenge where we don't gather data well, we gather it manually and we don't validate it well. And so that's why we want, you know, back to your point about the clipboard, clipboards, we need to figure out how to put the, the real data with good efficacy in the right system. And uh, that's the, the beauty of maybe something enabled by a digital ledger like, like blockchain. I'm, I've now been doing this long enough. I, I talk about ledgers rather than, than blockchain specifically. But the the idea is then we give Steve access to that information updated as as Steve needs to. And then also same thing with providers that you work with. 
And if your, your provider leaves or changes or goes out of your network, you can, you can learn that uh, more uh, in, a, in an automated fashion rather than trying to have a visit or have a claim rejected that you thought would be covered. And so we're, we're working on it, on the why. There's a whole bunch of work to be done. These companies, there's a new company we, we, we've helped, uh, you know, Sentara's invested significant in in terms of uh, helping to enable called Avenir Health. And there's uh, some competing consortiums that we, I'm hoping, are successful because uh, it, it's a very challenging uh, situation where the incentive model that we, we get paid, we kind of get paid for the overhead and dealing with all the, the inaccuracy. And we're not proud of it. We want to get out of it. But it's a problem that we need to build a new a new uh, network, so to speak. And the, the network, I believe, is going to be based on on blockchain. So, you know, the competing organizations, Avenir Health, if you go look up the Coalesce Health Alliance, the Naptic Health Alliance, now all of these organizations have some of the, the top healthcare companies uh, in the United States and in the world working to solve these problems. And so that's what we're hoping is they can they can build this this ledger in a way, because if you think about it, if we have really clean patient data, uh, we can patient match Steve King out of every other Steve King in the United States. We get really clean provider data. Providers can update their information. They can update networks they're in. They can be onboarded into new health systems and onto new health plans in much greater time than we do today. Then we can clean up other problems. Who hasn't had a claim rejected that they thought would be approved? Who hasn't had a knee surgery and thought, oh, it'll just be one bill for the knee surgery. And then they learned it was actually 10 different bills and four or five got rejected or one came back in a kind of what they call these surprise bills where you didn't realize that some out of network radiologist was pinch hitting that day. And so you got hit with an out of network bill. These are all kinds of problems that we we have with the the healthcare data management and the back end you know business and payment processing, and we're not definitely not not proud of these issues. We want to fix them. The good news is there are are a lot of organizations that are investing in this and some brilliant people involved. I I'm humbled every time I get on a phone call with these folks at the caliber of of business innovation technology people who are involved, and I think what they should do is do what you're doing, Steve. Keep asking the questions about when will it be fixed. And yeah. uh, I'm hoping we see some good progress. I'm hoping that you see some things really as early as the you know, first quarter of next year, some good things happening. Well, it's certainly a complex space. And I, you know, you it's funny the financial services folks have been early adopters in blockchain. And wouldn't it be ironic if medicine eclipses their adoption rate and we have a kind of a holistic system in place here come next year. That would be amazing. If I shift for a second to mm -hmm. the world of telemedicine, because, you mm -hmm. know, now, you know, we're, I don't think that this has been a temporary solution. I think we're, we had a temporary solution that's going to be uh, uh, matured for adoption here on a much wider basis as folks get more comfortable kind of taking many things they used to go places for at home. What do you think the adoption rate for telemedicine is going to be? And 
What do you think that whole area is going to look like in about five years? I think it will be the preferred primary care um, encounter method. We've been working on telemedicine for a long, long time. I got to University of Utah in 2007, and I remember 2007, 8, 9, you know, 10, those years, uh, we had the, the, the Utah Telehealth Network, UTN. The challenge with adoption has always been a couple of fold. One, you know, just patients understanding what the capabilities are. And then two, or back in the early days, you know, 10 years ago, the providers, um, it just wasn't um, an incentive model for the individual providers or the health systems where I think now we've got uh, sort of some generational turnover in the providers where I think now we have the, the generation X group that are that generation of people who saw the old automate, old manual things and the new automated things, and they like the latter. And so I think as that new, newer generations of providers come into the workforce, then that's one thing that, that spawns it is one, you've got to have physicians who are willing to do telehealth engagement. And then I think the inflection point that the pandemic put on us for telehealth now patients, and again, back to the Gen X and younger generations of patients, they're going to prefer that in many ways. And that whole, you know, it's, it's easier. Nobody hands you a clipboard when you do a telehealth uh, <laughs> visit, right? That's and, true. Um, One of the side benefits, so, yes. Exactly. And, and so, but we've got to get better at gathering uh, information because the problem is, so the, the, the beauty with telehealth today is the quick utility of the interaction and the encounter. The challenge is we still, still do need to figure out how to do the data gathering and reconciliation. So some of the health systems, that is tough, is they, they don't have the telehealth encounters completely integrated into their health record platform. And so that's going to be the next big thing to, to really start you know, leveraging them as a, as a business utility and not just the convenience. And I think that you know, the pandemic, we needed that convenience. And so the, the convenience factor was so, uh, so, so needed and so high in 2020 and, and through the kind of, you know, maybe not as much in 21, but now we've maybe not reduced focus. We all still offer telehealth, but we definitely need to go back and now get those telehealth encounters, all of the data that's gathered integrated into the patient's central record and the health record platform better than maybe we have in the past. Right. Switching back to security, if I could, for a minute, on mm-hmm. the, uh, the IOMD side or the however you want to refer to it, the, the uh, OT device side of the house, you've been, you've been active for a long time. And as a patient, uh, you know, has every right to be concerned about a hacker messing with heart monitors. What's the real risk around medical device security? And and what have you guys done about it? I know I've been in hospitals where visiting folks, where I've walked mm-hmm. down the aisle and ha- had access to these, you know, portable uh, computer stations where mm-hmm. you know, there are open ports and I could insert a USB drive 
no problem. So I'm I'm curious about what you guys have done in that regard to protect and defend. Yeah, it's a it's a great point. And really, what you have to do is pay for something you know, basically like a red team engagement where they kind of, you know, size you up in that black box mode on the internet. What can they learn about you and get in, but then also let them walk into your facilities and tell you how easy it was to get to a workstation or attach an, an, a device to your network. And we've, uh, we've done that. We did one this summer. And so we're asking the questions. All right. So where, what are new preventive things we can implement and what are new just detective and response things, you know, where, you know, cause hospitals are tough, they're public access. And um, while there are obviously some controlled entry areas, there are always the situations where you've got to say, okay, what, what workstations are out in the open and what can they get to? And let's pretend a bad guy, let's let a bad guy, bad guy sit down at that workstation and tell us where they could get. And are we able to suppress that and keep it so that, you know, they're, they're, uh, they can't get anywhere uh, with someone's credentials that they're not supposed to. And so that's the challenge is role-based access. It's fraught with a lot of challenges, but one is where should the workstations be? Let's not have any out in public areas that are of any utility to getting to sensitive data, but two, if there are any that aren't constantly being attended or worked on, how do we secure those? You know, in terms of, you know, timeouts, lockouts, and then when someone is at the workstation, what can they see and what can they get to if they were a malicious actor? That's one thing. The, the other is big picture, all those medical devices, you know, there's always been the worry about individual systems being hacked and and uh, a bad guy, uh, bad actor affecting the integrity of readings or changing doses or, you know, treatment. But I think the big picture we're really worried about is what if somebody just takes us down? All of our, you know, we call it ADT, admission, discharge, and transfer. All of the workstations that support ADT, what if they all go down at once? Now we, maybe we have to go on divert. Maybe we, our health system can't see patients. And uh, maybe a five-minute ambulance ride just turned into a 25-minute ambulance ride for somebody. And so there's there's that whole spectrum. You know, internally, what happens at a workstation? And then big picture, the the individual devices and the larger service. How do we keep these things so that uh, um, going so that our doors are open? And we can get patients in and out as we need to. So it's it, there's a lot of work, but we've been um, you know, we've made investments in platforms that specialize in medical device activity on a network. So you know medical devices don't don't leave the same breadcrumbs as normal um, Windows devices. You have to find uh, you know these data scientists went to work for these medical device security companies and learns to fingerprint NetFlow traffic so that they can fingerprint a an Olaris infusion pump off your network out of all of the other brands of infusion pumps and every other device and then help you figure out what can it talk to, what vulnerabilities are on the attached workstation if there is one. And so there's so much to do, but the only way to know where you are 
and assess yourself is to bring in, um, you know, a, a team to assess you and, and look at it and then, and then work on the recommendations. Yeah, that's great that you're doing that. I'm also concerned, and this is my final question, I'm conscious of the time here. I want to get out in 30 minutes here. But uh, I think that whole healthcare target market is, is interesting in that it, it, it's a big one, right? I think mm-hmm. the data tells us that there were like 100 U.S. healthcare organizations impacted by ransomware since they started tracking that. And that's, I don't know, 12 million plus patient records. And I think there were 92 or something ransomware attacks on healthcare organizations, which was like a 60% increase year over year. What, what are we doing at, beyond your own medical network to change the dynamics there? I, I know that, you know, it's easy on the one hand to say, look, you know, we can't be bothered with this stuff. We're saving lives. But something has to give, right? Mm-hmm. That's right. And I think what in healthcare, we've worked really hard to get everyone to collaborate and work together. I think we, if you go back to when I, I started healthcare in 2007, I coming out of finance, what I observed was a, a, an ecosystem of sub-optimized technology stacks cardiology, radiology, lab, etc. And, and then we had to make all these things talk together. And we n- didn't have um, like IT experts explaining how to do this well. And so there's been this course, this path of this trajectory of learning. And I think we've got some of the health systems that have been able to advance their expertise and do it well. And there's still a lot who haven't. And so we are uh, definitely encouraging a lot more collaboration, a lot more working in, you know, the, these efforts. We call it, uh, you know, when, when President Obama signed the Cybersecurity uh, Information Sharing Act in 2015, there was a specific section for healthcare, Section 405. And uh, we've done a lot of work, very intentional work in healthcare and some great leaders in that space across uh, healthcare to try to build a document standards that any health system can adopt and trying to collaborate and teach them and help them do it. So that's what we have to do. There is no, there's no silver bullet. There's no easy fix to this. It is a, a lot of ground game work and comparing notes and figure out what's the plan and which technology solutions, if we do go to those, help a particular health system most. And so I it's one, like I said, there, there's not a silver bullet. It's just a lot of work. And so that's the thing. If I have healthcare CISOs or people listening and you, you, know, you want to talk about cybersecurity, look up Section 405D and healthcare security work and look up some of the, the CISOs who've been working on this. You know, myself, Eric Decker at Intermountain Healthcare, he's done an incredible amount of work and, and worked on public policy as well for this. But reach out to all of us and ask. How can we get involved and how can we, we learn more and, uh, and do more to help everybody uh, kind of pick up their capabilities? Yeah, well, that's great to hear. And, uh, you know, obviously you have a passion for this and I'm glad you do. We need more folks like you, Dan, to kind of lead the way here. And uh, this is, uh, you know, one of the serious open wounds, if you will, that we have mm. across the whole specter of cybersecurity. And the sooner we close it and and protect it, the better off we 
we're all going to be. And, and we're out of time. That was great, though. And right. I, appreciate, I appreciate you taking the time out of your schedule to share some thoughts about uh, blockchain and telemedicine and uh, what's going on in the healthcare world. I'm pretty sure this is an interesting exchange for our folks. So thank you again. All right. Thank you. It was nice to talk with you, Steve. Hope you have a great day. Great. Thanks, Dan. And thanks to our listeners for joining us in another one of Cyber Theory's Unplugged Reviews of the complex and weird world of cybersecurity technology and our new digital realities. Until next time, I'm your host, Steve King, signing out. Thank you for joining us for another episode of Cybersecurity Unplugged. You can connect with us on LinkedIn or Facebook at Cyber Theory, or send us an email at social at cybertheory.io. For more information about the podcast, visit cybertheory.io forward slash podcast. Until next week, thanks again.